Welcome to FinTech What the Heck. I'm your host, Andrew Carpenter. This is the podcast all about FinTech and the future of data. Today, I'll be talking about data marketplaces. I'll also be talking to Internio's VP of Customer Success, Flavia Rousseau, and to the CEO of Zigma, Yuli Etbensberger, about making portfolio management tools more accessible to investors. Today on my ramble about financial data, I'm going to talk a little bit about financial data marketplaces. So there are dozens now of financial data marketplaces. And if you're out there trying to find financial data for your project, whatever it happens to be, um, you will inevitably come across some of these marketplaces. If you're Googling for financial data, all of these marketplaces are trying to optimize to find you when you're out there searching for that data. So, um, just to give you a little bit of perspective on financial data marketplaces, I'm going to talk about it today so you know what to look for in a financial data marketplace, what to avoid, and uh, some of the questions you should be asking when you're picking a marketplace, if you're going to pick a marketplace. Um, because you, you inevitably have two choices. You can either go to each data provider directly, and that has uh, the advantage that you're going directly to the source, you have the relationship with that um with that data provider, or you can go to a marketplace that kind of consolidates data providers. And that has the major advantage of usually you're only connecting one way. So however you get delivery from that marketplace, your dev team only has to deal with that one provider because they're on the back end integrating with each of the different data providers that are um, involved in the marketplace. So that's the biggest advantage is that it's just going to be a little bit easier to connect to the data. The disadvantage is you're going through a middleman and let's say that there's something wrong with that data um, or there's a problem. Well, now you're going through the marketplace and then it's getting passed off to the data provider and then it can be slower to get service or um, there could be some complexities in buying data and licensing data through a third party vendor. So um, let me just ramble off a handful of the marketplaces that you might be familiar with. There's IEX Cloud, Quandle, AWS has a financial data marketplace now. Um, Snowflake has a market uh, marketplace of data. Crux has a marketplace. Uh, Bloomberg, FactSet, Quilk, Benzinga, QuantConnect, DXC, the list goes on and on. And Trinio actually used to have its own financial data marketplace, and I helped run that marketplace for years. We stopped... Uh, being a marketplace because there's so many of them out there now that it doesn't really, we didn't think it made sense for us to try to um, organize and catalog all this data. We prefer to have an uh, individual relationship with each of our clients. So um, what to ask when you're choosing a financial data marketplace? The first thing that you need to, to establish is that if you're building your business on financial data and it's critical for your operations, you don't want to self-sign up. You don't want to just go to that website, put in your credit card, and buy that data. It seems easy, and you can do that for testing, but before too long, you're going to need to have a business relationship with that marketplace. If you're able to sign up and um, just connect to an API and get going right out of the gate, it's too good to be true. That is uh, never going to work for your business. You will be violating or running into problems with display. You will be... Um, probably violating the terms of the actual marketplaces, contracts, if you use that data for a business purpose. If you're an individual and you just want to trade, um, build your own tools and experiment, that's great. You can self-sign up on 
in a lot of different places for data from an API without talking to anyone. But if you're running a business, you need to have a business relationship. So first thing to do is to just contact the sales team of the marketplace you're looking for um, and start paying attention to how that experience is when you talk to that team. Are they responsive? Are they knowledgeable? And do they give you information up front or are they kind of hiding things? Um, and are they pleasant to work with? Because this is the start of what will probably be a multi-year relationship for you with that marketplace. So don't self-sign up. That is not a good idea um, because you are going to need to have contracts in place to use any of the different data sets that you get from that marketplace. And for that, you're going to have to talk to their team. So when you um, get connected to the team at that marketplace that you're interested in talking to, um, the first thing to ask is, where's this data coming from? There is this very nice fallacy that you can just get all the data from them. It's coming from the marketplace. But that's not realistic. Behind the scenes, though each marketplace is connecting to data providers that specialize in one kind of data or another. Intrinio specializes in market data and fundamentals. We make all that data ourselves. But we don't go out and also make estimates data or ETF data or mutual fund data. We work with partners for that who specialize in those types of data. So when you're talking to that marketplace, ask them, where does this data come from? Maybe you're interested in ETF data. You can get that data from Intrinio. You can get it from probably a bunch of other marketplaces as well. But when you're talking to the representative of the marketplace, say, hey, who's the provider behind the scenes of this data? If they can't or won't tell you, that should be a big red flag because you're going to want to use that data for a business purpose and the data providers behind the marketplace, they, um, they're very careful about business licensing because that's how they make their money. If, if you're going to display that data or redistribute it in some way, maybe via an API or a web application or even use it internally for analysts, the, the data provider that is providing data to the marketplace is going to want to know about it. And so if the marketplace won't or can't tell you where that data came from, that should make you very worried that either you are going to use that data temporarily and do all the work to integrate it and then the biz, the marketplace will come back and say, hey, actually, surprise, you need to have a contract with the data vendor that's behind the scenes or we need to put some sort of restrictions on the data. Um, or maybe that data is coming from a disreputable source. It's not actually being licensed properly. So ask, who's the data coming from? And the marketplace will probably be a little hesitant to tell you because they want you to buy the data through their marketplace, not go around and have a direct relationship um, with the data vendor. So that leads to the next question, which is how does the marketplace make money? What's their business model? Um, there are many different ways that marketplaces make money. Uh, some of them charge you to use their platform to find data. Some of them, uh, they will take a revenue share uh, from of the data. So when you buy a $1,000 subscription to a data set from a marketplace, that marketplace gets some percentage of that $1,000 and then passes the rest through to the vendor. Uh, there are other marketplaces that wholesale data. So they will pay a flat fee to a data provider to be able to resell that data on their platform. And depending on the business model, um, this can influence how much you end up paying um, versus going directly. So what Intrinio does with our partners is we have a revenue share. Uh, Intrinio gets a percentage of third-party data that we sell. Um, but we have um, every one of our 
vendors that we work with, we have an agreement that you would get the same price whether you came through Intrinio or you went through the vendor. So we never have like a markup where you pay more to come from Intrinio. Intrinio gets a percentage for marketing, selling that data. Um, but your end users, your, you as the customer, end up paying the same amount. That might not be, may or may not be true for other marketplaces that you work with. So that's a good um, thing to ask. How are, is the marketplace making money? Um, so the next question is about delivery. And if you're going with a marketplace, delivery is why you're going to that marketplace. That should be the primary reason is that you have, um, they've already done a bunch of integrations on the back end. And most of the data that you get from that marketplace should be available through the same delivery mechanism. And the reason why that's important is because it saves you money as a data buyer. You don't have to go out and make a bunch of different API integrations and your developers don't have to support a lot of different API integrations. You can just have one integration and support it. Um, whether that marketplace offers, you know, direct database connection, FTP, um, API connection, maybe CSV download, um, or something more sophisticated like through Snowflake or Amazon. Um, however they're delivering that data, you want to ask, can I get everything on one um, delivery mechanism or do I need to use multiple delivery mechanisms? Or maybe even I get connected directly to the data provider eventually and now you're maintaining two or three different integrations on that marketplace. That should influence your decision about which marketplace to choose. Some of them, um, everything's integrated. It's one API. Some of them, some of it's integrated, some of it's not, and you have to go back to have those direct relationships with the vendors. So the next thing that you want to ask that team is about changing out of providers. So this is something that I've noticed um, happens as marketplaces are kind of figuring out their business model. They get going. They are on the back end negotiating all kinds of complicated reseller agreements with the vendors that are in the marketplace. So remember I mentioned they can wholesale. They can have a revenue share. Um they can offer free trials, maybe they can't. As they're negotiating these agreements with their data providers, sometimes negotiations go poorly for the marketplaces and they have to change data providers. Well, how is that gonna affect you as the data consumer on that marketplace if they go and change that data provider six months, a year after you started buying data from that marketplace? You wanna ask that team, do you have multi-year agreements with your data providers? Have you changed data providers in the past? Is there some sort of like track record of this? Or how long have you had these relationships with these data providers? If they've had the relationship for a very short amount of time, that might make you a little worried because um, maybe it's not going very well. If they've been with that data provider for a long time, there's a big history of that relationship, then that is a reason why the data provider in the marketplace won't change things because they have a lot of customers, they have a lot of business, a lot of revenue riding on that relationship at the marketplace. And if they were to change that relationship, maybe switch out providers, they would lose all that revenue. So that's a heavy incentive for them to keep the data providers in the marketplace that they have. And the reason why this matters, again, is that if you are integrating data, buying data from a data provider, and then they go off and change some of the data underlying data providers that you're using, your integration is going to break. The data provider that they change to might have different fields. They might have different um, frequency of updating the data, different data quality, different support mechanisms. All these are problems for you because the data that you got and are relying on inside of your application for your own end users, be they 
be the analysts or retail users on your website or um, you're running a quantitative black box model. It doesn't really matter. If your data sources change, it is very disruptive to your business. And so that is a big another big red flag if those data providers have changed or they don't have a long-term relationship, a good working relationship with the marketplace, that is something that you might want to consider going to a different source for that data. Finally, when you are talking to that marketplace, um, their sales representatives um, that are helping you to understand how the marketplace works, ask how licensing works of the data. Do you just sign a contract with the marketplace to license every data set that's available within that marketplace? Some data providers don't allow that, and some very good ones, some data providers that Intrinio works with, they want you to sign a relationship directly with the data provider, and that is complex. It adds some uh, uh, stress and headache up front because now you're signing an agreement maybe with the marketplace and with some of the vendors that are in the marketplace directly. But that can be a big advantage for your business in the long run because now you are kind of protected. That if you if something goes wrong with the marketplace, the data vendor changes things, you already have an agreement with the data provider. You have the option to stay with that data provider at the terms of your agreement long term. And that can be a big advantage because Stability is super important in the data business when you're buying those data sets. So there are a lot of data providers out there. There are lots of pros and cons, but make sure that if you're a business and your business relies on data, that you talk to their team. Find out some of the key things about uh, where they get their data, how does the marketplace make money? What delivery mechanisms are available? Have they changed providers in the past or do they have long-term relationships with their vendors? And are upfront, ask, am I going to need to sign an agreement with the data provider directly or am I going to just need to sign one agreement with the marketplace? And think through a lot of the consequences of those answers. You want a data provider in a marketplace that's reliable, that's been in business a while, that has long-standing relationships with vendors, and that is upfront and honest about how the fee structure will work, how the marketplace makes money, and um, how they're going to support you when you ask questions. Are they passing it through to the vendor, or are they answering them directly? So there's a lot to consider. There are a lot of marketplaces out there. Uh, some of them are better than others. Um, and if you're interested in these types of questions, you can talk to us, uh, talk to our team. We'll tell you why we don't operate as a marketplace anymore, um, why we like to have that relationship, because we love to give all this information to um, our customers directly. So uh, good luck out there sourcing your data. My guest today is Flavia Rousseau. She is the Vice President of Customer Success at Intrinio. Welcome to the podcast, Flavia. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Why don't you uh, just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about your own background and how you came to work at Intrinio? Yeah, sure. So, you know, majored in international relations, but at a very young age, right after college, I started working in finance, uh, in a financial services company. Um, so right from, from the get-go, got, you know, involved with investments, with um, foreign exchange and all that good stuff, and also dealing with clients since from, a, you know, an early age. So, um you know, fast forward, fast forwarded a few few, few years. Uh, decided to start taking some 
some courses in business administration. Again, I didn't have the, the business or finance background. So went to New York, you know, got my hands dirty in a, in a business certificate at Columbia. And then I thought that I was ready for, for an MBA. But I wanted to do more than just business, you know, more than just the the, the economics, the accounting, the marketing classes that we all have at a, at a business school. And at the time, um, at USF, where I got my, my master's, I, you know, I find out that they had a very good program, um, at, uh, you know, in business analytics. And that's how I became involved with, with data. Um, learned code, you know, from, uh, you know, at a higher, at a higher level. And then that's how I got um, Intrino. Knew, you know, knew and, and still know someone that was at Intrino at the time. Um, there was a, a place for sales and support at the time. And why not? Since I was doing, you know, again, business with um, some some business an- analytics, and that opportunity was, you know, it, it was great. Yeah. Can you talk about how you convinced Intrinio that we needed to have account management and customer success? Because when you started, that wasn't even a thing for Intrinio. So, like, how did you make the case to the organization that that was something we needed to be doing? We always had a great support, um, great great support system, if you will, um, to our customers. We used to to run chat seven days a week. Um, and we were always fast. We were super responsive via chat and email. Okay, great. And that was one part of the puzzle. The other part of the puzzle that we were missing is the, you know, the, the customer success, the account management aspect of it. Um, we, we were, you know, a super small team, but we were, again, great on support, great on sales. But then the management of accounts were, you know, was the thing that was missing. And I came to realize that it wasn't good enough to follow up with clients a week before their contract was renewing. There, you know, there must, um, at the time I thought there must be something else that we can do to engage these clients, to be on call with them, I don't know, every every month, every quarter, uh, what, whatever the case may be, and just know what they're doing, what's going on within their organization, what are their plans, um, are they growing, are they not growing, are they stale, are they promoting, are they firing people, so what's going on? Because at the end of the day, whatever happens with our clients, it's going to impact us for, for good or for, or for bad, right? So... Um, that's how I came to realize that we already had a great, you know, a great structure in place. We just needed to expand and kind of, um, you know, start, start something new on, uh, on the, on the customer success realm. Yeah. And it made a huge difference. I know that churn was a big problem for Intrinio. Uh, clients would come in and they would leave very often and we had these large churn numbers. How did that account management uh, piece and that proactive reaching out to those accounts, not just like right before they renew, but earlier and building the relationship and learning what's going on with them. How did that translate into reducing churn? Well, it translates really well because first of all, I mean, there, there's some churn that is inevitable, unfortunately, you know, things change, projects 
don't work out the way, you know, that the company thought it would work or even companies, you know, we, we work with startup startups a lot. We know that out of the sudden they just, you know, many things can happen and they just cease operation. So one thing is to be aware of that few months in advance, if we can help them with, you know, maybe freezing their contract or working with them in terms of payments, that's fine. But there's just some cases that we cannot do anything. But being with the client or even one step ahead of them, again, knowing what's happening within their organization, I think was one of the one of the one of the things that helped us with churn. Another thing in you know we we worked together on this project actually was to move, um, you know, try to do annual contracts instead of monthly. So we knew that we had the entire year to um, engage the client and, 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 and keep helping them finding value in our, in our solutions um, instead of just that one month to month to month, uh, which is not, it, it, it actually is not really good for the client depending on, their, on, on where they are in their, you know, in their maturity. Uh, but it's not really good for for us, you know, the, as the company either. So that's something that we find out that having annual contracts typically is it's it's a it's a positive for both sides. Yeah. So I remember going through that discussion and adding annual contracts, and now it's like instead of renewing a client twelve times a year, you renew them once a year, and it's actually less work for the client, but. Um, another thing that I think when you in- implemented account management is it actually made a big difference for sales, like um, r- negative churn. Can you talk a little bit about how like the account management work that you brought to Intraneo influences the sales of like new business actually rather than just reducing churn? Yeah, so you know it helps sales because um, as we discussed many times, sales needs to focus on selling, right? They need to acquire. Um, new new businesses. They they need to to take in more clients, um, and then the post sale journey. That's what we call um, is it's customer success account management. So that for suspect you know helps sales because they need to focus on the selling the contract and the invoicing period. From there on, it's all customer success. So they don't need to be checking if the if the new the, the new account is using, if they're having some difficulties, if they want to hop on calls, that's all my team. So they're they're you know once they close that that sale, they're already on to the next and next and you know that next new client. Um, another you know and, and, and which goes along with the onboarding that we we implemented at Intrinio. We we never had an onboarding um, phase for our clients, so now we have a few months where clients are onboarding, they're integrating. We have calls with clients and our um, sales engineer, and they love it, right? They love it. Uh, we are in contact with them every single week. We know their mile, milestones. We know when they're launching, when they're going live. If they need marketing support from us, we give them. You know, whenever they're they're live. So that's um, that's something that we've implemented and kind of alleviated um, some extra work uh, from uh, from the sales team. Yeah, their their focus has gone through the roof since your team really got off the ground. Like they're able to just say, "Hey, we bring in new clients. Account management takes care of the clients that we bring in and makes them successful." I love it. Can you um, can you say like what 
over the course of a year, like what are the touch points with a client? Like if you're just, you know, a, a, an average client over the course of the year, like do you reach out to them every month, every day, every six months? How do you stay on track on, on top of all those clients and schedule those check-ins? Right. So it actually uh, depends on the client, you know, as soon as, and again, you know, my team works, and especially me, because I am doing the onboarding now. I am the, what do you call it, onboarding specialist as well. Um, so I work really closely with sales um, and I love it because we're always on calls together um, and the handoff has been very smoothly um, since onboarding, you know, begun. So it actually depends on the client again. Um, in my onboarding call, that's one of the questions I ask the client, how do you want to be contacted? Because some clients prefer phone. So I'm going to be calling him instead of emailing him. And I ask, and, and I, depending on what they're doing with the data, depending on, on their project, I ask them. So you want to be contacted via email, phone, or even Slack. Depending on the clients, we even have, you know, we Slack. Um, some clients prefer being contacted every week. Some clients prefer to be contacted every month. Or I have a client very specific that he closed a contract with us. But he's not going to be using the data for another three months or so. So I know that he wants to be contacted at that specific date of a certain month, uh, which is great because, um, you know, it, it gives the client time to analyze our documentation, work internally with it, you know, with his team, whatever he needs to do and gives me the opportunity to. Um, just be ready whenever the client wants to start integration and, and start, you know, talking to us and, and using our, our platform. So it really depends. And that's why it's great to have an onboarding, right, process, because we know, again, the dates, the type of contact, what they're doing, how long is it going to take, if they, you know, if they are ready or not. So that's, um, those are the, the, the touch points that, that we have in place. I love it. I didn't expect you to say that, but it makes so much sense to customize it to the client. Like, what do they prefer? You know, I thought you were going to say like, well, we just hit them every six weeks and that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I'm actually glad I asked you that question. Um, what would you tell to a, a company like a, a startup that's in a, in the place where Intrinio was a few years ago where they're, they don't do account management. They don't have customer success. They're just kind of like, Hey, we're too busy. We don't have time for that. How would you convince them that they should add uh, customer success and account management to their business? Like, what would you say to them? So, you know, I've, I've, again, I, customer success is a new, it's a new, um, it's a new subject, right? Um, it, it, it started with account management, you know, several years ago, and now it's turning to this thing where uh, we not only help managing the account, but we're actually, a, a, you know, we are, helping the, 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 our client the company uh, with some strategic uh, decisions sometimes based on products and etc. But for a small startup, I would say start with having uh, a great support system in place. And that's exactly how Intrinu started. Again, going back you know, to our chat days. Uh, we were on chat seven days a week, weekends, we were live. You know, that, that's because... 
at, at the end of the day, clients, they want to hear from you. Whenever they have a problem or an issue or even a question, um, they want to hear from you. They, they don't want to click a button that takes them to a form. They have to fill out the form and they have to wait five days. So I would say start simple with a very good support system. It might be chat. It might be even an email. But you need to grow from, from there, which is exactly what we did. Once that is established, you need to, one person doesn't need to hire five people to do customer success for you at the initially. So start with one person, you know, segmenting the accounts, making sure you know your client base. That's, that's one of the first thing I've done. I, I think I've asked Yates. Who are our clients? Who are our enterprise clients? Who are our startup level clients? Segment them by MRR or by segment or by size of their company. Know your client base. From there, you do need to reach out, introduce yourself, you know, tell them that you're there for them, but not just as a premium support, that you're there from them for them, that you need and you want to understand their business. How they got there, what they're doing, what their next step. Um, if they have, you know, a, a project that they are working on and they have milestone that they need, they, they need to achieve and how they're going to achieve it, how you can help them. So I would say hopping on a call is, you know, um, in the gr grand scheme of things would be uh, my advice. Talk to your customers, you know, half an hour, you know, to introduce yourself to, um, give them an update of, of your new, new team or your team does. It's, it's essential. So, so they know you and, and, you know, or maybe a zoom call with the camera on. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a good tip too. Yeah. And do you think that when you get, you start building that relationship, that that is what drives the, the new sales inside of those accounts? Would they come and tell you, Hey, we have this project on our roadmap that is going to need more services. Is that really just having that conversation organically creates those leads for the business? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I think it, you know, every single time I can, I, you know, I lost count already. Every single time myself and my team got on a call, we, of course, we never asked them. So do you have a new project that you will need more data or some kind of data? No, you don't ask, you don't ask like that, right? You can be direct, but you, you don't have to be that direct. So, but the questions that we ask, you know, mid call, they always say, oh, and by the way, I was gonna, I was gonna tell you, I was gonna reach out to you. We are thinking about this, this and that. Do you have that? Or how can you help me, you know, with this data or that project or whatever the case might be? So it is, it is so, it is so organic and when we start hopping on calls with client, um, probably a year, almost two years ago, um, you know, I I was just blown away on how many times that happened. And it's typically right mid-call that we kind of change the, the course of the call to now let's talk about the project that you have in mind and that probably you're going to need more data for it. Um, but again, it's it's not a sales call. It's just, you know, I want to hear from you. I want to know about your project. I want to know about your product. Let's talk about it. Yeah, and that has led to negative churn in, for consistently at Entrinio for a long time now where instead of having churn be a big problem, 
we're able to grow our accounts more than churns in a given quarter. And that's made a huge difference. Um, can you talk a little bit about where you want to take account management and customer success next? Like, what are some of the things that you would add um, to take it to the next level? Yeah. So uh, right now we have uh, we have three people on my team, including me. So me and two more people, Preston and Nick. Um, and of course, they're doing a tremendous job. Um, one of the things that once when I created the team and started having, you know, we need customer success, we need to, you know, to better manage our accounts. I envision that a, a customer success team needs to have verticals, and that's what we've been doing. It's not silos, but verticals. Like we have the onboarding vertical, which you know I'm responsible for. Then we have what we call the engagement and support vertical, which is Preston's, and then we have renewal and upsell or renewal and expansion that is next. So that is established, um, you know, and it, it has been working really well for the past, you know, eight months or so. Um, and again, not silos because things in our team at least, or for trainer at least, works, uh, you know, comes up and works so organically that sometimes Preston is on a call with a client, an engagement call or a marketing initiative call, and the expansion opportunity comes up that he he takes to Nick to work the trial phase and the contract phase and the pricing uh, aspect of it, right? Um, but where I want to take the customer success team, of course, I think the team um, needs to grow of, over the next, the next, you know, quarters, the next couple of years. Um, we are going to be onboarding two, um, two members in the, in the coming months, which is going to be great. Um, and one of them um, is going to be focusing on the more technical aspects of support. Um, that's one of the one of the things that we that we have um, in place for her. Uh, of course, it's it's very new, but um, we we still need to have that support aspect um, within the customer success team because that's so valuable. And every startup has um, it needs a support um, a support person. I think the onboarding um, vertical is it, it's one of the essential ones as well, um, that it's, it, it needs to expand, it needs to, to improve. Uh, and then, of course, the expansion piece, right? Um, the expansion piece is super important as well. Um, depending on what your company does, uh, you know, expansion either happens um, more automated or it needs, you know, a, a personal touch. Um, uh, for it, so that's. I don't think the. I don't think the verticals needs to be expanded that much. I just think that we need to, you know, consolidate it and and kind of expand um, what we're gonna do within each each vertical. Well, I'm not gonna make you talk about superheroes uh, like Nick did, but could you maybe <laughs> just tell us your uh, your favorite place to scuba dive and why you love it so much? Yeah. Okay, that's okay. I probably have like you know a, a very very long list, but of course I can only talk about you know I can only talk about the things that I've done. So I have recently gone to an island of the coast of Brazil, which is very not very known, but anyway, it's this, this not remote island, but it's just great to scuba dive. It's called Fernando de Noronha. It's off the coast of Brazil. It's Brazilian territory. But feels like 
you are on a on a Caribbean island, you know, um, amazing, great scuba diving. You see sharks, you see dolphins, you see whales, you see rays, um, and it's just yeah, it is just you know, you can go very shallow and you see life. You can go very deep and you see life. Um, so probably the best, the best place, probably the best trip of my life. Um, wow. right, you know, right at, right at our, our backyard. Um, so glad I went there. Um, and I would say second place just because of easiness, Bonaire, just easy, you know, short dive, you're up and you go. <laughs> Do you, do you like seeing sharks? Like you mentioned, like seeing all this life and you're like, and there's sharks. It's like, that's part of the fun sharks? for you? Um, I, so I, I did a shark dive at West Palm Beach once. The ones where they feed the sharks and there were lemon sharks. They're very curious creatures. Let's just say that. They come right at your face and then you have to do that kind of move. They actually teach you. Oh, if the shark comes next to your face, you just, you know, push them away. Um, I do, um, but I respect, right? Like I don't chase, I don't want to, I don't pet, I just look. <laughs> and that's what you're supposed to do with, you know, any marine life, um, especially the places that you cannot dive, um, with gloves. Um, typically marine sanctuaries, you cannot dive with gloves. So you don't, you know, you don't touch things that can burn you or bite you. So I keep my distance, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. Wow, you're so much braver than I would be. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Flavia. <laughs> that was a blast. Today I'm with Yuli Evansberger, CEO of Sigma. Thanks for joining us, joining us Yuli. Uh, why don't you get started? Just tell us a little bit about your personal background, how you got into this world of finance, and then how you got started with Zigma. Yeah, sure. So I've been in finance for a very long time. I am a financial analyst, uh, having worked for many years for one of the largest private debt funds um, at an asset manager out of New York. Uh, but I'm interested in investing, you know, started way earlier when I was 19 years old in the, in the late 90s. And... Uh, so I have a very good understanding of, you know, how the, the offering of the brokers has evolved over time. When I started working in finance, you know, I got to see the tools and the data that are available in the, in the, in the professional world. And I realized these are not rocket science. So it just kept baffling me why brokers would not up their game. And, and they still haven't, right? 80% uh, of our users um, that link their bank accounts to Sigma are at TD Ameritrade, they are at Fidelity, they are at Schwab. The rest is, you know, more, more of, the, of, the, of the new brokers. And they tell us that they're not served there well, you know, when it comes to portfolio tracking or portfolio optimization or even stock research. So, so, so they're looking for, you know, more modern UI, UX, uh, technology-enabled solution. And it's exactly that would get us started because we knew without having the empirical data at the time, that many other self-directed you know, investors were facing exactly the same issues. So, so take, for example, uh, portfolio management tools and the lack thereof. I mean, that means, you know, monitor your key portfolio metrics, you know, like what's my weighted average yield if I'm a yield investor? What's my risk? Uh, you know, what's my portfolio quality? What's my growth? What's the growth pro profile of my of my of my stock holdings? You know, and now also ESG scores, a more recent topic. We cover that. Um, tools to help you monitor diversification. 
you know, helping sure that a, a trade fits with your portfolio when you when you make the trade. We have we call it the the trade simulator, a portfolio simulator, or help me track my holdings financial performance over time. And and secondly, um, for this long-winded answer, as financial analysts, we felt that you know the self-directors, the directed investors were not served well by the various data platforms out there. I don't want to call anybody out, but when it comes to stock research, you know, there are so-so, you know, there is, you can feel that there's a lack of, of expertise. So we, you know, decided to team up with some very talented programmers and engineers to develop our own quant stock research based very much on intrinsic fundamental data. Yeah, I love it. Um, it is such a frustrating world out there. I've experienced it myself. I use some of those brokers and I'm always looking for more. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how you close this gap? I know you've got personally the right background because you've been in the professional side of it. And now you're trying to make those same tools available for um, you know individual investors who don't have access to the same thing professionals do. Like, what does it take to build that out for them? Like, why haven't other people done it, and why have you been able to do it? Well, I mean, that's for the users to decide, right? But um, so we try to make it. Uh, you know, plain and, and simple. Um, so first of all, you know, we come from the professional side, but like I said, it's not rocket science, right? Um, we, uh, and then we've been, we've been held to very high standards at, at, at the company and by my boss, frankly. So the, pro- the, the product was always going to be professional grade or not going to happen. That's really important. Um, this was really important for us. Uh, but we really wanted to, to, to differentiate ourselves, you know, with the expertise that we bring to the table. And, and then it's really about accessibility, right? I guess the most, um, the most uh, quoted example is the iPhone, you know, make something that's techn- technologically very powerful, extremely easy to use. And that's the overarching principle for us, the overarching mm-hmm. objective that we empower investors with technology-enabled products. In the best po- in the best possible UI UX experience, and we're still working on that, and I guess we'll work on that forever. You know, um, if I may just you know use one example, there's the stock scores, for example. So they show how a stock ranks against its peers in an industry, uh, and we look at thousands of data points on valuation, growth, profitability, and financial position. So as a single number, then the out the score reflects the outcome of millions of calculations done daily across you know three thousand three thousand five hundred stocks, um, or take for example the strengths and weaknesses we show on our stock profiles. So users love these because it helps them uh, get started when they research a stock. You know what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, what do I need to pay attention to, and that's also powered by technology and. So we're trying to, to, to bridge that gap between or, or close that gap, or however we want to put it, um, between you know, technology-enabled solution, like you know, solid technological approach that we're going to you know, build out over time and then make it look, make it look easy and, and easy to use. Yeah, that user experience from the iPhone, everybody expects it now. All the, the people are used to it and they kind of deserve it. And I think that that's great that you're focused on. Um, can you talk uh, a little bit about like mistakes that it, you know individuals might make that a professional investor would avoid, and how Zigma can help uh, can help avoid those mistakes? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, 
it's 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 really where we're coming from, right? Where, how we get started. It's about um, keeping up your with your portfolio. Um, it's so important. Um, and yes, it's super cumbersome, right? Many users tell us that they've been using spreadsheets to keep up, and that's nearly impossible to do. Uh, but it, yet, it's so important. And I think that's the biggest uh, mistake that people do. Uh, and even if you do just a few trades uh, each month, it's 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 very hard to do. And that's where we came in and wanted to and and are providing the tools to solve this problem. Um, just for example, take tracking key portfolio metrics. Um, we we help users track key portfolio metrics on the dashboard over time, right? So what's my weighted average yield? If you're an income investor, you want to know like what's my weighted average yield over time, right? If if it if at one point it's at four and then it drops down to three percent, you may want to act on it, right? What's my what's my portfolio quality? Um, what's my growth profile? Things like that we have in a dashboard, or you know, smart alerts, right? Like you know, for for years and years and years, I was like, why does my broker not help me monitor my portfolio diversification? It's the it's the bread and butter of portfolio management. Like, why doesn't he send me a, a message when a single stock gets you know, makes up more than 20% of my portfolio all of a sudden. So we now do that the same. We do also do that for the industry and for some other parameters, but you can, you see, it's really trivial and, and we highly recommend people do that. Um, and then also holdings, financial performance. So I guess that ties into, to really to our background, right? Um, for us, it's, it's the bread and butter. Like I said, you know, when you buy, a company at a revenue growth of 10% right now, right? You do your due diligence, you see it's growing at 10%. You want, you want this number to go up or down. You want it to go up, right? Um, and for pro, and professional managed, um, you know, investors, they monitor that. On the retail side, no, but mostly nobody does it. But why not? You have to take your spreadsheet, uh, note it down, and then remember where you, where you noted it down. Um, so so yeah we we are enabling i guess we're bringing professional um investing concepts and tools uh hopefully in an easy and digestible way to to the retail investor yeah i've noticed that in my own portfolio that like i'm not a professional investor i've got another full-time job so i lose track of things over the course of the month and i end up with spreadsheets or i end up missing things and not able to watch as much as i like to so Having that alerting functionality and that tracking built in seems like a, a no-brainer way to avoid just kind of missing things and, and allow you to, to get a higher performance with less time. That makes so much sense to me. Um, what do you think Zigma is going to add next for um, for their users? Like, what do you think the next cool features are in your roadmap that you're building out? Uh, that's that's almost like a trade secret. Um, look, we <laughs> we want to. <be, laughs> We we've, we've set out to be uh, the most comprehensive, the most innovative, and the most affordable investing platform. So you know we continue to to think about new features, you know trivial things sometimes, you know, uh, but that just make life easier for people. Um, and then continuously also optimize the UI UX. You know, um, maybe another example. Um, stock screeners right <clears throat> i find it so painful when you have to uh, go into a drop down menu select a a parameter that i want to use for my search and then enter a lower bound like type go to my keyboard type the lower bound value 
then go to the upper bound value, type the upper bound value, hit hit enter. Then there's pro if if I'm unlucky, there's even a loader, right? And then I go to the next parameter. That's that's like five years ago or ten years ago, even, right? We so so we we're, we're solving that with sliding scales. You take your mouse or your trackpad or whatever, and you 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 adjust those search parameters. Below you have the search results update automatically, and then you can calibrate. You know, open it back up, close it down, use other ones. We've even pre-selected that. Absolutely. So, so so we just yeah we just try to think about how to 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 make things easier and and really the big theme for us is like autom like there's I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of automated finance. It's it's about you know budgeting and 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 using AI. Uh, machine learning to help you, you know, manage your expenses better or versus your revenue, and we really want to go there for 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 investing. Um, that's that's as much as I want to as I want to say. All right, I'll make people come to your website and check out check you out and see what you release next. That's great. So um, give us a little bit of the inside scoop. Um, I did go to your website. It's uh, zigma.com. Z i g g m a dot com. And it says on there that you're a remote first company. And uh, you were telling me earlier that, you know, you, a lot of your employees you haven't, you know, met in person. Like that's just the way that you, you work. So what, what do you do to make that successful at Sigma? How do you handle that remote work aspect of your business? It's about communication. It's actually even worse than that. Not that I just, um, that we don't, you know, haven't met actually, but there is also a big time difference. So, mm. We have a team in India, and we have people in 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 Los Angeles. I'm in France, so with Los Angeles, I have a nine-hour time difference. And if I want to do a call with the people in India and the people in LA, then they we're talking about a twelve-hour time difference. But nevertheless, you know, it's about getting FaceTime. It's about you know exchanging personally. It's about meeting on a regular basis. It's uh, and then obviously you have those really neat tools like Slack that everybody uses. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have a magic recipe. Um, still looking for it. It's a, it's a grind. It's you know trying to, to 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 stay on top of it, trying to get people to commu keep communicating, and uh, and I think most of our our team members are pretty much all of them do that. Um, so yeah, it's about communication. We that's how it works for Trinio. Most of our staff is remote, and um, we have been for a year or two now. And so it's kind of there isn't like a playbook. Nobody's come by and said, "Hey, this is how you run a remote company." So it's it's fun to hear how you're doing it. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Yuli. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to meet you, Andrew. Uh, I saw some of your podcasts, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be on it. Yeah, check out Zigma at Z-I-G-G-M-A dot com. Thank you for joining me for this episode of FinTech What the Heck. Thanks to our sponsor, Intrinio, a financial data partner for innovators in finance. You can learn more at Intrinio.com. I'm Andrew Carpenter, and I'll see you next time for more of What's New in FinTech. Thank you.